Being adaptable and being able to kind of go with the flow of where things are taking you and trusting your instincts is huge. Everyone's going to have an opinion about what you should do with your business. And sometimes those opinions can be complete opposites, <laughs> depending on who you're talking to. So taking all that information and being able to decipher what is actually right for you and your business. Hi, everybody. We're in the midst of recording our next round of shows. But in lieu of going radio silent for a few weeks, I thought it would be much better to rebroadcast some of our favorite shows. There's a good chance you haven't heard this one before. But if you have, maybe you will learn something new. Hi, everybody. We're back in the crates for another remix. For this week's episode, we're looking back at episode three, featuring Jasmine Alvarez, founder of Pretty Well Beauty. I'm excited to revisit this episode for several reasons. First, the conversation around clean beauty continues to grow. Two, more BIPOC creators and founders are entering the clean beauty marketplace. And three, Jasmine and Pretty Well Beauty continue to evolve. Here are some of the things that have changed since last I spoke to Jasmine. There's a rebranding of Pretty Well Beauty's website. She's added seven new brands. And now more than 50% of the brands sold on the site are BIPOC owned. She's a recent recipient of Reimagine Wall Street's Back Black Business $10,000 grant. And if that's not all, she's co-founding a leadership academy for emerging beauty brands that will also offer access to capital. And she's also looking into NFTs. Please make sure to stick around to the end because I've asked Jasmine to call in and provide some new information. She'll be sharing five tips on shopping for clean beauty products. So let's get into this episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Start Right Here. We are the podcast that puts the spotlight on the career paths of BIPOC beauty professionals, entrepreneurs, and creatives, as well as issues related to beauty and inclusion impacting us in the industry, as well as impacting consumers. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope that conversations on this show help fuel your path to success. Hi, everybody. I'm pleased to welcome Jasmine Alvarez, who is a photo producer turned clean beauty entrepreneur. And we're going to hear more about her journey today. I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome, Jasmine. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Before we start talking about your career path, let's begin with some fun questions in our For the Love of Beauty section. What's the first beauty product you ever purchased? It was probably makeup from Clinique. I remember my cousin Gigi took me to a beauty counter at a department store when I was about 14 or 15 years old. And she bought me a pressed powder, a blush, and a lipstick. And I remember treating these products like they were the most precious thing in the world. (laughs) That was my very first beauty purchase. So what is the latest? I mean, you're trying beauty products all the time. So what's the last beauty product you tried? Oh, my God. (laughs) 
There's a lot. There's I'm simultaneously trying products. I just took on a brand called Ilera Apothecary, um, which is a Black-owned, founded company. The founder is Nigerian woman. And I really love her products. The range that she has is really impressive too, because it's not just things for the face. She has products for the body. She has oral care. She has products for men and for babies and for pregnant women. So it's a really great line. It's a really great price point too. Like there is nothing really over $30, which is awesome. So it's really accessible. And she's done this using all organic and very high quality ingredients. The hero ingredient being shea butter that is sourced directly from the belt of Africa. So I'm really enjoying her detox facial cleanser and the oil rinse. Those are probably like two of my favorite products from her. But then there's also this brand. I don't carry them right now, but I'm in the testing phase. It's called Euphoric Apothic. They have five products. I'm obsessed with their Snow Cloud, which is a aloe vera based moisturizer. And then they have these crystals that are vitamin C and MSM that you dissolve in water and you apply to your skin directly like a toner. It's so fun. <laughs> it's like I just love everything that they've done. And then right now I'm using a facial oil from this brand called Taza, T A Z. Um, the founder, I actually know her because she's in this cohort that I'm a part of called Project Entrepreneur, which is furnished by the Female Founders Collective. So she has this great Ayurvedic um, blend of facial oil that I've been enjoying. That's great. I'm not familiar with any of these brands and I'm a beauty junkie. So this is great. So I can't wait to check them out. What's the best beauty advice you either live by or leave alone? Live by is keep your hands off your face always, unless you're washing it. <laughs> and less is more. And you need to wear sunblock 365 days a year, regardless of what your skin color is. What I leave alone, retinol, anything that's really harsh, anything that has any toxins in them, obviously, injectables, no judgment on people who are getting Botox, but I believe in aging gracefully. And I feel like I don't have any fine lines or wrinkles yet, but when I do, I feel like they're going to be there for a reason. They're going to be a part of my story and chemical relaxers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, leave Leave them alone. Yeah. So Jasmine, can you give us your 30 second bio? Sure. So... Um, My career actually started off in fashion. I started off as a model agent and then pivoted into casting and production. And I ended up launching Pretty Well Beauty in January of 2019 after experiencing some frustration as a consumer, as just a clean beauty consumer, which I'd been an advocate for at the time for many years. And I decided to launch this business just from my own frustration and a little bit of white space that I saw in the market. And it was definitely a big leap of faith after coming off of a career that spanned almost 15 years. Was the beauty industry a destination or a detour for you? It was absolutely a destination. I had been wanting to pivot from fashion to beauty for a really long time, but was coming across quite a few roadblocks, which I was really surprised by because fashion and beauty are so closely connected. They're basically siblings. But for some reason, I had a hard time finding a position in-house with a beauty brand full-time. I did some freelance beauty production. I produced and cast the Fenty Beauty digital launch back in 2017. 
That's amazing. Yeah, I knew it was going to be big. I didn't realize it was going to be that big. (laughs) It was a very big job. It was about a four-month process. Um, I did all 40 of those models. It was a four-day casting of seeing almost 400 models and social media influencers. So when I first took on this gig, I thought it was going to be like a, you know, a quick little two week thing ended up turning into a four month, very big project. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The budget just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> so and, and the impact of it that was huge. It was massive. It was industry turning. It was a loud message that needed to be made. And because of that, Brands can no longer come out with just 12 shades of foundation anymore. If you don't have at least 40, you're not going to survive. <laughs> How did you go about like getting your first job, like post-college? So when I was in my senior year of college, it was my goal to be a model agent. And I knew I wanted to come to New York. I didn't have any contacts. I didn't have any relationships with anyone here. I didn't really know anybody. So when I moved here, I came here with $300 in a couple of suitcases. <laughs> Not advisable. <laughs> but, you know, when you're in your early 20s, you don't think that you're going to fail. Like you're looking at the world with big, you know, starry eyes. And that's what I was doing. So I came here and I interviewed at Ford Models for a position as a booking assistant on the men's board. Now, I wanted to be on the women's board, but they didn't have a position there on that board. So I actually ended up turning that job down and went to one model management for an unpaid internship that I thought was going to turn into a full-time position. They had Naomi Campbell at the time. You know, they were like the hot new boutique agency of the moment. So after, I think it was about two or three months of me being there, it did not turn into a full-time position. So I ended up going back to Ford and asking them if the position that they had previously offered me that I turned down was still available and they hired me (laughs) and it ended up being one of the funnest, you know, experiences of my life and made me realize that it was the best choice because managing male models is very different than managing female models. And I had a lot of fun. (laughs) So I did that. I was a men's agent for about three years. That's what I did. Well, that's really, really interesting in that you were brave enough to turn around and say, ah, maybe this is not right. Let me go back to these people and, and just ask, because I think a lot of people are afraid to go back and ask the question. Right. My mom always told me a closed mouth can't get fed. So the worst thing that could happen is that they just say no. Fortunately, that's not what happened. And I still have really great relationships with the people there that are still there that were there when I was there. That's great. So what skill did you learn there that set you up for success later? What skill? I would say patience, (laughs) negotiating. It taught me very early on that I needed to develop a thick skin. There was one agent there, I won't name names, but he was not very kind to me. And I felt like he was intent upon breaking me. And one day I actually ended up confronting him, quote unquote, confronting him because I'm such a non-confrontational person by nature. I brought to his attention, you know, the way he had been treating me and he acted like he didn't know what I was talking about. And I got really emotional and I started crying in front of him. It was really embarrassing. But I was proud of myself because I took the opportunity to use my voice and speak up for myself because after that, 
he stopped bullying me. And years later, when I would see him backstage at Fashion Week, when I became a casting director, he would come and talk to me and be really nice to me. Well, I think this story is really important in the situation we're in today, where a lot of Black and Latina and women of color coming forward with stories about being gaslit at work, experiencing microaggressions. And a lot of that happens in silence. Like you don't tell other people. And when it's happening, if you tell somebody, you are often treated like you're crazy or you're imagining something. So it was really, really brave of you to confront, not that it was like a fight or anything, but bring it to his attention and nip it in the bud. And, you know, everybody doesn't have that opportunity, but it is important to own it when you see it, like to really recognize it and trust your feelings. It's not your imagination is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. And when I think back of me at that age, because I'm not a confrontational person, and I am very, very sensitive. I know that for me to get to the point where I felt like I had to say something, it was really, really bad because normally I would just kind of let things slide or, you know, just kind of sweep it under the rug or whatever, but it was affecting me on a daily basis at work. And it made me feel very uncomfortable. And I didn't think about it until years later that it maybe could have been because I was different. You know, I was the only person of color in that department. And I had the least experience, obviously. You know, I was fresh out of college. Right. You'll never know. But the fact that he was not able to break you and that you were able to succeed, you know, his actions didn't stop you. So he had to respect you yeah. after a while. Yeah. You have to, so. I've been through a lot. So. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you go from Ford to photo production and ultimately end up as a beauty entrepreneur? Take me through that. Sure. So after three years of being an agent, which at that point I'd kind of classified it as being kind of like a glorified babysitter, I was burnt out. I needed a change. And so my first stop was to start casting. I had already had relationships with a lot of the casting directors because I had been working with them as a model agent. So I just simply reached out to the ones that I felt closest to and asked them if they would ever consider hiring me as an assistant. And so a couple of them did. And so I got to assist them on various things from editorial shoots, casting models for that, casting models for advertising campaigns, and then casting models for different designers that were showing during New York Fashion Week. And one of the casting directors that I worked with on shows for Fashion Week, she and I worked together, I think, on two or three different seasons, casting models for about five different shows. And she had a baby and she and her husband ended up leaving to move to Westchester. So she actually gave me all of her clients. So she gifted them to me and I ended up taking over. And that's how I really started as a casting director. So I was casting for Betsy Johnson, for Tracy Reese, for Christian Siriano. But in the off season, I would do other sort of freelance gigs. So one of those gigs was working as a studio manager for a photographer named Fadil Barisha. He's not a fashion photographer. He's more of like a personal portraits photographer. He also shoots a lot of the Miss USA and Miss America pageant girls. That's like what he does. But he took some personal portraits one day of the wife of the owner of Rolex. And so when the owner of Rolex saw the photos of his wife, he loved them so much, he asked Fadil to shoot the campaign. 
And so he was like, oh my God, I'm going to be shooting the Rolex campaign. I need hair, I need makeup, I need a model, I need stylist, blah, blah, blah. And he wanted me to do this. Like he wanted me to organize getting all these people. And I had never done anything like that. I didn't even know what I was doing was called production either. I don't even remember what I was saying to agencies over the phone to get them to, you know, send me artists' portfolios or suggestions. Or I was so green, but I figured it out. I ended up booking the stylist, the hair and makeup artist. We got the model, Carmen Dolafice, you know, the iconic, you know. I know Carmen. And I remember being there on set the day of the shoot and watching. And I was like, oh my God, like, I did this? Like, I organized this? And so the feeling that I got from that made me want more of it. So I started seeking out production. And again, I didn't know what I was doing was called production. So I remember just cold calling different places saying, hey, do you guys need um, help organizing photo shoots? Like, (laughs) so embarrassing when I think about it. But I didn't know. Like, I had no idea, like, what this was. I didn't know anything about it. And the thing about production is it's not one of those things that people really teach you. You get tossed into the deep end and you either sink or you swim. And one of the places that I ended up calling was Art and Commerce, the agency that represents like Steven Meisel and all the top fashion photographers. And they had a producer that was away on maternity leave. And I interviewed with them and I ended up getting the job. So I was working on production for Vogue and Prada and Balenciaga and all these major, major projects, you know, Steven Meisel and Sebastian Fena and Craig McDean. And I had had less than a year of experience um, doing production. So this was a real sink or swim moment. This is where I learned how to be a producer because the way they operate and manage all of their productions is to such a high level of professionalism that I've never experienced anywhere else in my entire career after that. Every single minute detail is looked over and looked over by multiple people you know, everything down to the size of the font, the type of font, like everything. It was such a well-oiled machine. And I learned so much there. And I credit my experience of being a photo producer there to set me up for all the successes that came after that. Oh, that's great. So why the pivot to clean beauty? So I had started using clean beauty probably about eight or nine years ago. And this is before clean beauty was even a term. And the only options you really had to find these types of products were like health food stores or you know, maybe Whole Foods or something like that. It wasn't mainstream like it is today. And so when the store, there was a store that opened up in the West Village. I don't know if I should mention it, but... You can, you can feel free. I mean, it's fine. So there's this uh, store, they actually ended up, they're now closed permanently because of COVID, but they were there for about five years called Cap Beauty. When they announced that they were opening up their store and I was like, oh my God, yes, finally, there's like a place that I can go to where it's like all clean beauty. I don't have to go to like multiple different places and like search and like research and like do all of these legwork that I had been doing to find things that were actually clean and were safe for me to use. Now there's going to be a place where all of that's there and it's like, I don't have to worry about it. So when they opened, I went to the store and I left completely deflated, feeling very much like a fish out of water. Customer service was terrible. They treated me like I didn't even exist because I went there a couple of times. But the first time it's like, okay, you know, maybe it's an off day, whatever. But then another time I went there, it was like, oh, they're trying to just sell me, like like hard sell me on things that I 
I remember them trying to sell me a $400 anti-wrinkle cream. I don't even have fine lines on my face. Why are you trying to sell this to me? The pricing was really intimidating too, because there wasn't enough variety in the price points where I could build a routine, you know, maybe get maybe one thing. And there was still no guarantee that it would work. Yeah, it just felt very intimidating. It was really overwhelming. It didn't feel comfortable, didn't feel like a place that I was welcomed. So that was when the first sort of seed in my brain was planted, where I was like, I want to do something like this, but like better. And that's all it was. That was just the first thought. Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, beautybizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. So then a couple years go by, like I'm continuing to do my production work. I start working at Ralph Lauren in early, like January, February of 2018. And that's actually the same time that I started the Pretty Well Beauty Instagram account, not with the intention of it being a business, but really just for it to be a platform for me to share my thoughts and ideas about clean beauty and just kind of, you know, engage with the community of people who are also interested in clean beauty. So when I left Ralph Lauren, I think it was in September of that same year, um, Usually my instinct when I'm leaving a place is to like, okay, brush off the CV, you know, go look for another job somewhere. But I didn't feel that this time. I had no interest whatsoever. I had this moment of clarity where I was like, Jasmine, you've been wanting to start your own business for a really long time. You've had friends who've told you for so long that you should do your own thing. I think this is the time. If you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. So I had saved up enough money, I think, at that point where I could at least be able to take care of my personal expenses for one year. And I was like, I'm just just see what happens. And that's really what it was. There was a two week period from the day that I left Ralph Lauren to when I registered for the LLC where I was like, "Um, can I do this? Like, should I do this? How am I going to do this? And I still never even really was able to answer myself. But I was like, I'm just going to do this. Like, what's the worst that could happen? If it doesn't work out, I could always go back to production. You know, I have so much experience doing that. But I didn't want to go back to production. Not because I didn't love it, but because I was no longer interested in the idea of having someone else have so much control over my financial future and my value. And I wanted to create something that I believed in, that I, that was personal to me. And that was something that I felt very passionate about, that I could do the way that I wanted to do it without having to answer to anybody. So clean beauty was almost a calling for you. It was, yeah. And it took me a while to realize, I mean, beauty is in my DNA. My mom is a hairstylist. I grew up in a hair salon. I've been around beauty my whole life. And my mom has always preached to me, you know, like a more natural approach to beauty, like less is more. Like it's always been in me. It just took a little while for me to like activate it. We connected because we both saw an article. In the article, there was a mention of goop and the notion that clean beauty was for white women. And 
I mean, I thought that was ridiculous. And we started a conversation on LinkedIn and it may have been, oh yeah, it was surrounding um, the Credo's launch of Serena's sunscreen and talking about inclusive. But that line just stayed with me because why wouldn't clean beauty be for us? Right. That is the question. Why wouldn't it be for women of color? It's for everybody. But for anybody who wants to have a more natural and holistic approach to their personal care, regardless of what your racial, cultural, ethnic background is. And when we're talking about things like natural beauty, clean beauty, organic beauty, black and brown people invented that. We've been using these types of products that we make in our homes for centuries. When we hear you know, people from Goop or any of these other companies raving about, you know, ashwagandha and turmeric and all these like herbs and stuff that are in these skincare products that have been around for centuries. And they're talking about it as if they just discovered it. It feels a little bit like of a cultural appropriation. And I think it's extremely inappropriate and disrespectful because you are taking something from people who you are not acknowledging in any way. And I think that When a lot of people think about things like clean beauty or wellness or whatever, the representation of that is always a white woman. Same thing with things like veganism. You know, there are actually more vegans in this country that are black than there are white ones. 8% of vegans are African-American, 3% are white. But yet all you see as the symbol of veganism are white people. Same thing with yoga. Yoga was invented in India. Like all of these different things, like things that are wellness and health related and clean that speak to the way people live their lives have all come from cultures that are not Caucasian. But yet it's this demographic that's capitalizing on it. And I think that it is time for brands to take this moment, especially in this moment that we're in right now, take advantage of all the momentum that we're seeing now and using your voices and our platforms to shed light on this. Because I don't think most people are even aware of any of the things that I just said. That's true. Unless you're a person of color. I don't think most people are aware of this. I saw an ad on Instagram from Sakara Life. They're trying to sell popcorn for $45 popcorn. Yes. <laughs> we all know corn comes from Native Americans and they're selling popcorn for $45. I was so offended. Yet the indigenous population cannot get the things they need to fight COVID. That comparison is unbelievable. So what makes clean beauty so important now? Well, clean beauty has always been important. What we put on our skin has the ability to affect all of our vital organs because it does get absorbed into our bloodstream. Up to 60% of what we put on our skin ends up in our bloodstream. And when we're talking about clean beauty, we have to also talk about the packaging that these products are in because depending on what it's packaged in, it can actually interact with the actual product itself. For example, if you have oil, like an oil-based product that's packaged in plastic, plastic has the ability to actually seep into oil-based products which means that can go into your bloodstream and can affect your health. And plastic is also really hard on the environment too. It takes a long time for it to decompose, if at all. So yeah, clean beauty, it's important because traditional beauty, there are so many toxic and unknown ingredients that have direct impacts on our health. Everything from allergies to cancers, 
There's neurotoxicity reports of using products that have certain ingredients in them. Delayed fertility. There's so many different things that these toxic ingredients have in them that are affecting our health. And the products, specifically hair care products that are marketed towards Black women, have the most toxins in them of anything. Yeah, there's no denying that. There have been lots of reports about that. The response of creating products that work specifically for our hair have been great, yet people still use some of those products. Yeah, they do. Because first of all, it's very, very difficult to create not only makeup, but hair care products that are 100% clean, but that are also effective for very textured hair. It's very challenging because there are very specific needs for curly hair. There has to be the right amount of slip. There has to be the right amount of hydration and moisture. It's not like straight hair or even just wavy hair. The way you care for textured hair is very different than any other type of hair. So it's very challenging. I'm hoping to bridge that gap in the future. So let's talk about the lines that you have found that you're carrying on Pretty Well Beauty. What kind of products are you selling there and how did you find that brands? Yeah. So when I first launched Pretty Well Beauty, I launched with only 12 brands and um, a lot of them were brands that I was already using. So I was already familiar with. They had met my personal standards for clean. And now there are over 30 brands on the website ranging from products for your skin, so like cleansers and toners and masks and exfoliators. There's also hair care. There's bath and body products. There's products formulated specifically for women who are pregnant, for babies. There's also a wellness section. So you can find things that will support your inner well-being. So like super powders and adaptogens and things like that, teas, different tinctures and elixirs. So I go through a pretty extensive vetting process when I am considering a brand for Pretty Well Beauty. It takes about six to eight weeks. So in the beginning, it was a lot of me reaching out to brands and introducing myself to them and seeing if they would be interested in allowing me to carry their products at prettywellbeauty.com. And the response was very positive. Um, I didn't have much pushback with that. But now a lot of brands reach out to me. So I don't really do a lot of reach out so much these days. But um, the very first step would be if a brand is reaching out to me, the very first thing I do is I look at the ingredients. I go directly to their website or if they've sent me some sort of document, PDF of some sort or brand guide, I look at the ingredients first. I look at what everything's in it. If there's nothing in there that's toxic or unsafe, then I request samples of the products. So they'll send me the products and I need at least four weeks to be able to use everything because that's usually how long it takes for you to start to see results, if anything. So I'll use the products for a minimum of four weeks. If I like the products, if I feel like they are beneficial and they're effective and I'm not experiencing any sort of reactions that are negative or if they just feel good. Like I do, I I pay attention to like all the details of what my experience is. A lot of the brands on my website, they're not all super well-known. In order to stand out from the group, you need to have some sort of visually aesthetic branding. It can't be something that's like in some mason jar with, you know, looks like you made it in your kitchen, but there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're up against brands that are, they have some sort of industry recognition already, it's very hard to compete against that. So um, looking at the brand's aesthetic and making sure it's on par and aligned with my personal aesthetic and other brands, you know, they're just as elevated. 
that is something that's very important. So I look at those things. And then after using everything, then if I like everything, I move on to a phone conversation. And these phone conversations are quite in depth because I want to know where they got all of their ingredients from. It's very important that I understand what their supply chain looks like. Do they know their growers and their farmers or are they just ordering stuff from random websites and doing something? I need to know that everything has been sourced ethically and sustainably um, and fair trade. And then we talk a lot about the packaging. I want to know what the packaging is made of. Like, where did you get it from? What is the facility like? What are their standards? So we spend a lot of time talking about these things. And then if everything is a go with that, if everything's set up, they can send me some sort of certifications, all of those things. Then the next step is just negotiating terms. So the whole process takes, it's, you know, it varies from brand to brand. There's a brand that I just decided to take on today. I've been talking to her for almost a year. So that was not a quick process. And then some brands, you know, I've given consultations to, like giving them advice because like I'll like the product and everything is really nice, but maybe there's just like one ingredient that there's always sometimes there's this one thing that's preventing it from being great. And so I'll share that with them and it's up to them to do with that information what they will. And a couple of brands have been really receptive to it and have reformulated their products as a result. So that's been really rewarding to be able to help brands make their products as best as they can, because a lot of them maybe are not aware of some of the alternatives out there of ingredients that I know of. And how did you get this vast amount of knowledge? Did you learn this stuff as a consumer or did you start, you know, kind of teaching yourself this stuff as you decided to change from just an Instagram account to a full-fledged website? Yeah, both. It started as a consumer. I'm a naturally curious person by nature anyway. So even as a kid, I was I remember reading the ingredients of everything that I ate. Like I remember reading the ingredients on cereal boxes, not because I was concerned with, you know, maybe getting fat or anything, but it was just like, I just was really curious. Like, what is this? And what does that mean? Like, and that's just how I've always been. And then of course, once I decided to start Pretty Well Beauty, it was a much more extensive deep dive into educating myself. And so I read a lot. I'm constantly like researching ingredients, looking for information. If there's something that I don't recognize, I'm like doing a deep dive. I'm like, what is this? Like, you know, and I'm not going to say I know every single ingredient out there, but you know, if there's something that I don't know, I'm going to find out. I'm going to figure out exactly what it is. And if there's anything, any even hint of there being a possibility of it being not safe for humans or for the environment, it's a no for me because my goal with Pretty Well Beauty is to not only set, but establish and adhere to like the strictest standards of clean. And so if you don't tick all of the boxes that I'm looking at, even if you ticked four out of five, it's still not going to be a right fit. You have to tick all of them. That's great. So given that you're an entrepreneur, you're focused on clean beauty and wellness, it sounds like. What is the unsung skill that you need to succeed? Oh, God, there's a few. Being able to be adaptable to an ever-changing environment. Um, And I don't think a lot of people are necessarily thinking about that when they're starting a business. I don't think I was even, but it's something that I've learned that you need to be malleable. There's more than just one way in which to do something. So yeah, being adaptable and being able to kind of go with the flow of 
where things are taking you and trusting your instincts is huge. Everyone's going to have an opinion about what you should do with your business. And sometimes those opinions can be complete opposites, <laughs> depending on who you're talking to. So taking all that information and being able to decipher what is actually right for you and your business and being patient. Patience is such a, and one of those things that you hear about, but you don't really understand how important it is until you're in it because we have our minds on the big picture and, you know, every day we see some success story and we think that this just happened overnight and it never does. Not for most people, at least. Yeah, that is so true. It never does. What's next for you? What's next for Pretty Well Beauty? What's next for Pretty Well Beauty? I want to develop a line of hair products for very textured curly hair that are completely non-toxic and packaged in sustainable, eco-friendly packaging. So I've written out the proposal for that and hopefully being able to expand and hire a couple of key employees to help grow the business. So I'm planning on doing that through raising a seed round of capital. So that's what I'm actually gearing up for. I'm planning to open the raise pretty soon. So that's going to be occupying quite a lot of my time over the next few months. And there's also an opportunity potentially for me to open up a brick and mortar where I would not require any upfront um, expenses. It would be a revenue share model. So that would be a really interesting opportunity to help grow the brand's awareness and marketing strategy. That's great. So I'm be really excited to watch what happens with Pretty Well Beauty and, and with your new product line and some of the things. Have you been able to with this? I know with the whole Black Lives Matters movement, there's been a lot of call for Black and BIPOC brand support that people are wanting to underwrite and give grants to beauty brands. Have you explored any of those as well? Uh, yeah. I mean, so far I haven't been awarded any, but I've applied for a lot of them. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And maybe people listening to this will understand how great you are too. Yeah. I so. <laughs> Who gave you the best career advice and what was it? This is a good question. My friend David, who's also an entrepreneur, he's the co-founder of a music tech company. He has been really influential throughout my entire journey. And he's given me a lot of advice. One of the ones was actually kind of a little bit of like tough love. I had a bit of a moment where I was feeling down and sorry for myself because I had hit what I felt at the time to be like a roadblock. I was just really frustrated that my business just wasn't progressing the way that I thought it should have been. And he was like, you know what? Not everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur. Maybe this is not for you. And that pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> that reignited the fire inside of me because I'm a fighter. I'm a survivor. So you tell me I can't do something and I'm like, well, watch me do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. I don't know if that was his intention when he said that to me, but that's what I received. Yeah. And it kept you going and thinking bigger along the way as well. Are you a mentor or a mentee? I'm both. I'm absolutely both. And I love meeting young entrepreneurs. And I say young as if I'm like, not like I'm some super seasoned one. I'm only like <laughs> a year and a half into this, but I feel like I've been doing it so much longer and I've learned so much. So when I meet someone who's just starting out, or maybe they haven't started yet and they have an idea 
being able to give them advice that I've learned along the way, being able to introduce them to people that I think might be able to help them is so rewarding for me. And then seeing them come back and like telling me updates about, you know, where they at with things is like, oh, it's one of those feelings. Like you can't buy that feeling. Yes, definitely. What makes a brand memorable to you? This is the last question. What makes a brand memorable to me? I would say the story. Like we all know that people don't buy things because of what it is. We buy things because of why it is. So when I find something that I find interesting that sort of triggers an emotion or a memory or something like that, that stays with me. And if I'm able to connect with the founder in any sort of way that I feel that I can relate to on a really personal level, which is the case with a lot of these brands, because a lot of these founders of these indie brands created their products out of their own personal need. Some of them had terminal illnesses and decided that they needed to clean up their act in every area of their life, including their skincare. So they decided to create their own. That's really inspiring to me when I hear things like that. People who are breaking boundaries and not letting people define what beauty means to them because it's so subjective. I find that to be really inspiring and you know, having something that's visually appealing, like something that catches my eye right away, their colors or their packaging, or even their fonts, like there's so many different opportunities to be able to attract the eye. And I'm very visually driven. I'm a Libra. So I'm very attracted to all things that are beautiful and sensorial. So yeah, I think any combination of those elements is what really makes a brand memorable to me. This is Jasmine Alvarez, founder of Pretty Well Beauty. The tips that I would give for assessing a clean beauty brand is first and foremost, looking at the ingredients and how transparent they are about what the ingredients are. If there's information on how the ingredients are sourced and any certifications that they might have, anything that shares about how the ingredients are sourced that speaks to their sustainability efforts and missions is also a big part of how I assess brands that are clean. I also look at the entire supply chain to make sure that the way that the ingredients are being sourced are fair trade and no one's being exploited. Everything along the entire supply chain should be completely ethical from the manufacturing to the packaging The packaging should be eco-friendly and compatible with the ingredients that the products contain. Thinking about the entire life cycle of the product, where the products actually end up after the consumer has used them, is something that I take into consideration as well. So making sure that the ingredient profile is compatible with Mother Nature, as well as not causing any potential harm to humans. And yeah, those would be my top tips for how to assess a clean beauty brand. Thank you. Can you give our listeners your social handles and the website address? Well, included in the show notes, but I just want to make sure that we have it recorded as well. So on Instagram and Facebook, it's at Pretty Well Beauty. On Twitter, it's Be Pretty Well. So B-E, Pretty Well. And the website is prettywellbeauty.com. Jasmine, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to me about your journey. It's really inspiring for anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur 
anyone who wants to do any of the things that you've done, casting director, uh, model agent. And it is an inspiring, like you can do something just because you might not have all your ducks in a row does not mean things will not happen for you. Coming to New York with $300 in two suitcases is like (laughs) a boss move right there. It's a risk, but without a risk, there's no reward. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. I think my biggest takeaway or advice that I could give to someone who is thinking about embarking on either just a new career or entrepreneurship specifically is find something that you would do for free. Because if you're in it just for the money, you're going to be miserable. That's a word right there. You got to have passion and you may be doing it for free for a while if you're an entrepreneur. That's the the bottom line. (laughs) I'm doing it for free. I still don't have a paycheck yet. Right. Yeah. So loving it and investing your time. Yes, money is important, but it's not the be all end all. That's our show for today. If you have questions about where to start in your beauty career, drop us a line at hello at beautybizcamp.com. Remember, there are many roads to success, but each of them requires you to start. So take that step forward today. See you next time.